census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Welcome, everyone, to episode 328 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ray Hall, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are here brought to you by the Dorkening Podcast Network and Deadly Grounds Coffee, broadcasting live to us from Magenta Manor's Pat Cave. And I, of course, am not here by myself. I am joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is... <gasps> the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the real... Housewife of no, the Queen Regent of Rose, Queen Regent of Rose. Almost forgot, the real housewife of Transylvania. She is the Michael Phelps of wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes von Nightmare. You just say ladies, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. I present the podcast, the radio show, pod. <laughs> That's nice. I like it. It's nice. She is my wife. <laughs> I still think the funniest thing was that meme I saw after Halloween ends, and they were like, "Like, imagine if like right before Michael Myers dies, he like reaches up and says my knife in a in like a Borat voice. It would be amazing." So how you doing there, Ashes? I'm doing swell. How are you, Patsy? Oh, I'm doing all right. Anything uh, anything major happen uh, in between the last time we recorded and this time? Eh, no, not really. It's been a, it's been a boring week. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Uh, so many things have happened. Most importantly, um, well, let me let me let me kind of e- expand upon everything a little bit. So let me paint you a word picture. <laughs> let me paint you a picture. Uh, so on Friday, last Friday, we had the opportunity to tour Mechanics Hall uh, because we are part of the planning committee for the Dead of Winter Horror Festival taking place on February 25th at Mechanics Hall in Worcester. And um, we've been working closely with, it came from the 508 Productions to to put this on, as well as Manny J Media, uh, who um, are located out of out of Worcester and, and whatnot. And um, I can't even begin. So we've walked past Mechanics Hall numerous times because it's right down the street from a place called the Palladium, which is a music venue, and we have seen many a bands at the Palladium. I have been visiting the Palladium for a really, let's just say, a really long time. <laughs> um, so I've walked past this place and have kind of like peeked in a little bit, but I've never been inside, and I just assumed it was kind of like a, I don't know, like your typical like theater hall slash uh, 
wedding venue place you know just like run of the mill whatnot i mean they they host graduations they host proms and um we stepped inside and oh my god this place is gorgeous it has so much character and like such a rich history already like the bones of it are just absolutely stunning and it's just it's it has this gothic haunted mansion type of vibe to it and you know which is perfect for the event that we are trying to put on and um we toured some of the rooms and the facilities and whatnot and you know this is where this is going to be and this is where that's going to be and that was cool and then we got to the grand ballroom which is where the films are going to be played and oh my goodness like we've posted some pictures online but seriously those pictures don't do it justice like in person it is just stunning breathtaking and i had this thought that you know just ran across my head like i'm so excited for the filmmakers whose films get to be uh showcased in this venue Oh, do you know any and of them? And then I was like, oh my fucking God. The world premiere of my film that I filmed, we filmed this past Saturday, is going, it's, it's going to premiere in that ballroom. Yes. And I'm just, uh, wow. So yeah, I filmed a movie. We filmed a movie. My directorial debut. Um, it's called Sweet Dreams. I wrote, directed, and starred in it amongst doing a plethora of other things, which was so incredibly overwhelming. And I was so busy and I was definitely jolted out of my comfort zone. I'm really comfortable being in front of the camera. Um, and I'm comfortable being behind the camera when it comes to helping somebody else realize their dream, you know, helping people work on their films and um, doing things to help other people. But this is mine. This is all mine. And it's just, it's, it's, it still hasn't, it still hasn't fully like sunk in yet. And I'm sure, I mean, so right now everything's in post-production We're we're editing and we're trying to get everything together and stuff. And, you know, we are, we are on a deadline. So uh, we've been busy, but um, I, I think it really won't hit me until I'm watching it with other people, you know, in this grand ballroom, this absolutely gorgeous setting with my friends, you know, um, I don't think it'll hit me until until then that this is mine, this is my project, this is my vision come to life. And, you know, I, I just, I'm not quite there yet. I haven't fully, you know, realized it, it yet, but I'm, I'm sure I will at that point. But it was, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot of hard work. It was about a 13 hour day. Um, just because we had to do a lot of stuff. Because we, did just, was, yeah, we did everything. Yeah, we did everything because it was just you and I. Um, you know, set deck. Uh, and we also, we filmed it in our bedroom. No, it's not that kind of film. Um, but we filmed it in our bedroom. Our bedroom's small. So that's part of the reason why it was just him and I. We didn't have any other, like, crew and stuff because there really wouldn't have been an appropriate place to put them. It would have been really cramped and it would have been really awkward. So we just decided that it would have been, you know, it was for the best that it was just the two of us, which in the end, I, I feel like it worked out pretty well. Which we won't do again because uh, in addition to the fact that you know, 
I had never operated a camera before, and if you don't have Facebook or you don't follow me on Facebook, uh, someone had messaged me because we posted pictures, you know, of the the slate or you know, as some people know, at the clapper board, you know, where it's like, you know, this is the movie we're shooting, scene one, take one, clack. Um, and they're like, oh, are you a cinematographer like me? And it's like, I will be known for my cinematography skills the way Sodom is known for its pottery. Like, I was super excited when we edited the trailer. Now, we dropped the trailer, and in less than 24 hours, your trailer had has almost as many views as my first trailer, which came out six months ago. You know, so it's like people are super excited to see what you did. But when I was editing it, um, I know nothing about color grading, color correction, other than uh, Mike Neal did it for me. That's what I know. Um, But like editing the trailer together, it looked so much better as soon as we started putting the LUTs on it. I was like, oh, thank Christ. Because the last thing I wanted was to, you know, make your movie look crappy. Well, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more like after the premiere and whatnot once it, people have had a chance to to see it and it's kind of made the rounds and whatnot. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the filming process and the uh, well, I things also, that worked and the things that didn't work. I and... also want to throw out there that uh, I've been telling you that people are super excited to see your work and you're like, well, you know, I don't know. And before we had finished cleaning up like less than an hour after we finished filming she had an invitation to screen her film at someone else's festival so that's two festivals that you got accepted into before we finished filming the friggin project like it's still not put like i put a a 30 second it's 39 seconds but the first nine seconds is our logo uh the first like it's a 30 second trailer and that's all I've put together. Although I have to say I was kind of impressed with myself. I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit because we had the trailer and the poster done within 12 hours of finishing uh, the film. So I thought that was pretty good, especially because I'm not a great editing guy. I'm learning. I'm learning, but but that's just it. Like this has been I'm a couple of things. I am I'm so unbelievably overwhelmed in the most positive way from just the feedback I've been getting thus far and how, you know, people have been telling me that they are so excited to see it and, you know, I feel like an overwhelming amount of of pressure like to to not, you know, uh I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel like I, I need to, I, I have to put out a good product. Like I have to, like this has to be amazing. Um, so no pressure on the editor to make it look good. Well, no, I'm just saying like, you know, I just, I, I feel a lot of, you know, and, and obviously it's, it's just pressure I'm placing upon myself, but you know, because so many people have come forward to say that they're looking forward to it, which I am so unbelievably grateful for really. Um, you know, I just, I just feel, you know, pressure to actually deliver, you know, to live up to all of this hype that has been created. But it's going to be and, so good. Like, um, it's so good. You know, so I, I really, I really hope that, you know, 
Patrick asked me something um, after we had finished filming and and whatnot, and I mean it was late. You know, I it was, it was like, like it one was o'clock. Like, I was like, yeah, it was like one o'clock in the morning, and I was we hadn't eaten blood off of. I, I had champagne in one hand and a sponge in the other hand, scrubbing the blood off of my bedroom walls. Um, you know, he asked me how I felt, and he asked me if I was satisfied, and I said no. Because I think things could have, I, I could have controlled situations a little bit better. Um, although, like in the moment when you're dealing with things, you try to prepare for as much as possible, and sometimes things happen, and you just kind of have to go with it. You know, either say, "Well, this is as good as it's going to get," or let's come up with a with a workaround, or let's nix this all together, or you know, you you kind of have to think on the spot. You know, um, so we did have a couple of situations like that where we kind of had to just rethink some things and it's like well this is my vision but clearly this isn't going to work for us right now so how can we kind of um compromise the two you know like still stay true to the overall vision but not do this do something else that can face similarly you know the same thing um so 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 yeah so i'm 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 proud of what we did but like i'm not i'm not satisfied i know i could have done better and so um and and you said that that's the sign of a good artist yeah like you you know you can do something different you know you can do it better and so you strive to continually get better at what you're doing you know so i know with my with my next film because at this point, there's going to be another. I'm not even finished with this one, and there's already going to be another one. I don't know when. Um, I'm not quite sure what because there are a couple of ideas buzzing around up there. Um, but uh, there will definitely be another one. But yeah, we will definitely uh, delve in and have conversations about the filmmaking process and stuff. You know, not right now, but definitely in the future because it's a- an experience that I'm still trying to digest. I don't think I fully comprehended everything. Um, I still don't feel like a filmmaker. And again, maybe that'll be rectified once I see, you know, my film amongst all of these other brilliant local filmmakers, um, you know, and and maybe maybe it'll hit me then. But, you know, until that point, I mean, it's just it's been a really fun ride, though. It's been a really fun ride thus far, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where else it goes. Yeah, once people came up to you and started, like, once people come up to you and start, like, telling you, you know, what they thought, and, like, you get to see the reactions of people in real time, um, I think it'll, it'll be more of a hit. I think that surge of emotion when you see the Magenta Manor logo come up... Especially because our films are playing back to back, but yours is playing first, I believe. No, yours is playing first. Oh, yeah, because we're going by how long they are. Although it might switch, but we'll see. But, yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. So that's what we did this past weekend that was our that was our weekend yeah and i'm i'm this is a great time to record because i am in the process of losing my voice uh because i'm so tired i have not slept much we have been so busy uh 
But that's as okay. I, as I say, hashtag stressed and blessed. <laughs> but that's okay because for this episode, I'm going to do the majority of the talking uh, because this week we are discussing the holdovers, which if you followed me over the past year and a half on this journey I've had uh, through filmmaking, um, actually a little longer than that, it's been two years ago I was working on that film. Um, I started in January of 2022 and that ran till the end of March um, and it finally dropped in October of last year so it took a while for it to even come out and now it's up for it's been winning tons of awards but it's up for five Oscars um, best writing or, or screenplay best film editing best supporting actress best actor and best picture so that was really cool to see and um i've got a ton of stories to talk about but um one of the things i i really wanted to touch on um is how great the cast and crew was um the the principles in this when i when i first learned that paul giamatti was in this I got so excited because he was always one of my favorite actors. Um, and he just became like so much more, like such a better. It was such an experience to be able to talk with him on a daily basis. And he is an absolutely delightful human being. Uh, he always had time for everybody. Um, I talked to him. You know, even if it was just a, hey, Paul, how you doing? Good morning type of thing. He always made sure to, like, he was always warm and, like, hey, you know, nice to see you. The first time I met him was at the uh, production office, and we had uh, just gotten lunch, and I had pancakes. He was like, oh, what are you working on there, pancakes? That looks really good. And, like, we, you know, I shook his hand. He introduced himself to me. I introduced myself to him, and I was like, you know... You know, I don't mean to sound like that guy, but like I'm such a huge fan, and I'm so excited that we get to work together. It's like, oh, this is going to be great, man. I'm I'm excited that you're excited. You know, so he's super nice. He's a Red Sox fan, which you know is even better. But he's also uh, he's really funny. I was telling somebody the story earlier today because we had been talking about Starbucks, and we ended up going on a Starbucks run, uh, me and one of the other PAs. And as we're coming back, um. Paul's outside, uh, I believe, his uh, with his his uh, you know the the I don't know somebody from the the crew was helping him out with something. I don't want to say assistant, but you know, somebody from the crew. And he was just outside hanging out, and he comes. He made a comment about like all the coffees we had, and I was like, Paul, I tried to get you one. I wanted to get you one, but he said no, and he's just like, son of a. Bitch! Like, it's so funny. Because he doesn't drink coffee. He drank tea every day out of a very specific mug that had his name written in black magic marker on the side. Like, that's the type of dude he is. It's just a plain, unassuming mug full of tea every day. Like, just, this is my mug, I'm gonna drink my tea, and that was it. And he was super nice. Um... On the last day of filming, uh, and I've told the story several times, uh, on the last day of filming, he, uh, 
I, I, I approached him. It was about 7, 7.30 in the morning, and this was going to be a long day. Like, I don't think we finished till about 9.30, and then it was, I want to say, by the time we wrapped everything up and left, it was close to 11, 11.30, so it was like a 16-hour day. And I went up to him, and I said, uh, you know, feel free to say no to this, but... Uh, my dad's a huge fan of yours, and he recently got diagnosed with stage three bladder cancer, and it would mean the world if you could like record like a little like get well message. And he's like, absolutely, give me a minute. Like he put his stuff down, and like I I seriously think it was a minute. And he called me into the uh, into his trailer, and I I took a video to send my dad, and we'll play the audio from that coming back from our second break, but. It was just one of the, like, he didn't have to do that. He also signed my copy of Sideways, which was awesome. Uh, he didn't have to do that. Like, he could have been like, you know, I'm focused on what's going on. Like, never at any point was he like, hey, leave me alone. Um, like, even one day, I think it was, it was the same day of, of the Starbucks thing. I was standing uh, over at base camp. So it was a nice day out. It was, you know, an un- it was an unseasonably warm day in in February, and I was just outside enjoying the weather. He's walking back over to his trailer just by himself. You know, he didn't ha- need an escort. He didn't need a bunch of you know security people around him or anything like that. And uh, I said, you know, Paul. He goes, "What's up, man?" I said, "You have one of my favorite lines in the history of cinema." He's like, "Oh yeah, what's that?" So if you've never seen it, there's a 2004 movie called American Splendor where he plays a Harvey Picar, who is a comic book artist from the 70s. And the whole, uh, the whole thing is there's this subplot about him meeting this woman and they're, they basically just kind of correspond over the phone and through letters because it's the 70s. You know, there's no you know, video chat or Zoom or anything like that, you know, no cell phones, obviously. And so they've been corresponding through phone calls and letters, and finally it comes time for them to meet. And the first thing he says to this woman, he's never seen her before. The first time he lays eyes on her, the first time he has a chance to say anything to her, he walks up to her, he goes, I just want you to know before we do any of this that I've had a vasectomy. And... I told him, like, I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, but that line stuck out to me, and it's one of the funniest goddamn things I've ever heard. And, you know, we talked about that for a couple of minutes, and it was awesome. Divine, the first time I saw Divine, she was wearing a pink sweatsuit that said, fuck a thigh gap, and I was like, that's the type of energy we need. And we bonded over uh, Arizona green tea, because we, we both were drinking that, and she was like, this stuff's so good, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, I'm so happy that we have this for craft service. She's like, I know. Uh, Dominic Sessa, who plays uh, Angus Tully in the movie, which, again, we'll get to, he was an absolute delight. Um, and the, uh, the, the director, uh, Alexander Payne, um, he knew who everybody was on set. He knew everybody's name to the point where we finally watched... Well, she had, Ashes had seen Sideways. I had never seen it, and um, I ended up going up to him afterwards, and I was I was chatting with him. I'm like, I'm like, why don't you like Merlot? And he's and he told me a whole story. I'm like, my wife is, you know, all about 
you know, Merlot. She's, you know, the mistress of Merlot is her podcasting nickname. And he's like, what's your wife's name? And I said, Ashes. He goes, oh, I'll remember that. And I'm thinking, sure you will. You've got a million things. Now, this is a guy who has two Oscars, by the way, two. Sideways and The Descendants. He has two Oscars. So we're at the rap party at the Somerville Theater in Cambridge. And we're going up the stairs. And he's at the top of the stairs having a conversation with someone. He looks over, sees me, sees her, stops his conversation, walks over and says, you must be Ashes. Hi, I'm Alexander. He remembered her name from a conversation we had a month prior. It was unbelievable. So, anyway, and at the, the last day, everybody was going up to him, thanking him. And I said, you know, I really hope I, I get to work with you again. He said, you will. And, you know, a lot of people will say that, but I really think he meant it. So that's my getting into character for the holdovers spiel. I will say, um, meeting Alexander Payne, he is a class act. He is a very classy guy. And we had the opportunity to attend a uh, private crew screening. So this was during the uh, um, strike. The I believe the writer's strike had finished, but the, it was still going. It was still going. Okay. Um, yeah. So the, the the strikes were in full force. Uh, they couldn't do like a full premiere or whatnot. So they, they couldn't have the actors show up. Right. Yeah. Um, Right. Well, yeah, because it didn't, it, like I said, it didn't have a full premiere. But what they wanted to do was they wanted to do something. So they had a private uh, screening event for the crew and invited all of the crew members and, you know, their plus ones. So I uh, I love Patrick's job because I get to be the plus one. <laughs> um, I get to reap all the benefits. Um, but anyways, we got to see the holdovers screened on 35 millimeter film um which really just added to the aesthetic of the film you know this this very uh vintage feel to it that was just absolutely gorgeous and i i cried um, three times because um it brought back memories of my dad because had dad not passed away in October 2022, he probably would have gone to this premiere with me. And fun story, both of us were standing there when the credits were rolling because we wanted to take a picture of my name up on the big screen. And none of the health and safety PAs were listed in the credits. The department heads were, but none of us PAs. And I was very upset about that. And I told Ash, right when that happened, right when I realized that when the credits ended and my name wasn't going to be there, I swear to God, I heard my dad in my ear go, well, that's bullshit. I swear I heard him say that. But after the screening, there was a Q&A with Alexander. Um, and... Obviously, he couldn't see everybody because it was a pretty, it's a smaller theater, but it's still pretty big, you know, and you can't, with the lighting and everything, you can't always see everybody. But the people he could see, he was calling them out by name and pointing to people, telling stories. Oh, you know, so-and-so did this. And, Ad, and, Adam Bilal, the, uh, uh, or Baleo, uh, the, the uh, lead, uh, like, pro, not, effects guy, like, he did all the fake snow and, like... You know, things like that. Um, but the fact that, you know, so many months removed 
from filming and seeing some of these people, the fact that he still remembered who they were and remembered their name. I'm terrible with names. Sometimes I, I will have to meet you like five or six times to like fully remember your name. I am just absolutely terrible. I don't remember. Um, How do you pronounce your name again? Oh, I know it. I remember it being complicated. Oh, my name is Jeff. But the fact that he not only remembered who did what, but remembered people's faces and names. You know, he's just such a stand-up classy guy. Like really, truly. Like, you know, he deserves everything that he has coming for him, especially with all of the accolades and whatnot that this film has been receiving because he is just such a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like he was wonderful to work for. Oh, yeah, he was He was great. Like, on the days of, you know, we had hundreds of background people. Like, if you've seen the the... The film, like you see the opening, like when everybody's in the dining hall, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. There's probably 250 kids, but he knew who all the parents were. He knew who everybody was. Like it was, it was great. I actually had uh, Michael Provost, who is the the kid uh, who didn't want to cut his hair in the film, um, the one whose uh, dad comes with the helicopter. The first day I met him, he was an interesting kid. I liked him a lot. Uh, he he came up to me and he you know he saw all my shark stuff, and he asked me. He goes like, "I'm gonna be back in a little while, but I'll ask you a question. You can think about it." He goes, "Are sharks more like dogs or cats?" And I said, "That's a good question." So when we come back from break, I will tell you what I told him. And so we'll take a quick break, unless you got anything else you'd like to add. Nope. And we're going to discuss the principal characters of uh, Mary Lamb, Paul Hunnam, and uh, Angus Tully from 2023's The Holdovers. Larry, did you press the button? I have pressed several buttons. You were supposed to press the record button. Well, I don't know. Maybe I did press the record button. I pressed all kinds of buttons. This thing has more buttons than a submarine. And right now, you are pressing my buttons. They're supposed to be a little light or something. There are lots of little lights. Oh, my. <clears throat> Hi, this is Linda Sugarbaker Donovan. And this is Larry Donovan Capricorn. And we are the co-chairs of the Lazarus Nook Homeowners Association. As well as founding members of the Lazarus Nook Community Theater Group. Not to mention the stars from the upcoming It Came from the 508 Productions film, Stakes, a New England vampire story. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Lamond. We are here to invite you to our next fundraiser. Because we put the fun in fundraiser. It is the Dead of Winter Horror Festival taking place at Mechanics Hall in Worcester on Sunday, February 25th. So make sure to get your vendor passes and VIP tickets because those things are selling faster than Meemaw's special peach sangria at the church fair. For tickets and more information, go on your little phone or your computer, your iPad, and head on over to the Dead of Winter Horror Festival Facebook group or event page. And tell them Linda and Larry sent you. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Even you is already one big detention. Son of a... Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. 
Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I heard you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. Oh. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's to take you dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? So you stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep in the Now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. History is not simply the study of the past, it is an explanation of the present. See, when you say it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. <laughs> I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lift down my shirt? No. <laughs> yes. You're gonna get me fired. This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. The Holdovers. And we are back. So, as I promised before the break, I told you my opinion. I told you I would tell you my opinion of the question. Are sharks more like cats or dogs? And I said they were more like cats. And the reasoning behind that is... Um, sharks tend to be very curious. You know, they're not malicious. However, if you are not careful around them, you can get seriously injured, uh, even if they don't mean to do it. You know, I've, you know, I've been scratched by many a cat many a time. I, I bear lots of scars from cat scratches from cats that weren't mad at me or angry with me. They were just playing, but like, Cats are very pointy in five of their six ends. Like, they just end in sharp points. And sharks are no different. Like, you know, even if you just touch a shark passing, if you literally rub them the wrong way, you will cut your hand because of the uh, the way their, their denticles. skin... Denticles. Yeah, it's basically tooth skin. Like, if you rub them the wrong way... Denticles. Yes, the Greek philosopher... Uh, you will you'll cut your hand up, and that's not something the shark did to you maliciously. It's just, and we've talked about this lots and lots of times about how when a shark goes to bite something, that's its uh, tactile, you know, because it doesn't have hands, doesn't have little mittens. Like it uses its mouth to judge, like is this something I can eat or not? And, can I eat you? <laughs> and in most cases, the answer is yes, but is it worth the effort? That's essentially it. So he actually gave me a King Shark comic, which was very, very nice of him. I liked it. Um, but yes, it was uh, it was a wonderful experience. So 
I have a different perspective. So, Ashes, we'll we'll start with you. When you watch the film the first time, and we've watched it, you've watched it three times. I've watched it four, and we just rewatched it the other day. What was your initial impression? We'll start with Dominic. So, b- before we get into all that, oh, okay. Um, Jason Ellsworth. Uh, of Majama, a friend of ours, friend of the show. He works at a theater and he has seen this movie several times and he cl- he says it is his favorite film of of last year. And he wrote this just absolutely glowing review of the film and I responded and I just kind of want to this is super quick I just want to read my response because it's really a a good just just my feelings about the film I said the subtlety in the acting and the storytelling in this film is a master class in character development and portrayal where other scripts are full of exposition and are rather verbose there is so much left unsaid allowing the viewer to read between the lines and piece together this beautiful story of the human condition it is an absolutely brilliant and beautiful film and that that's true like that that was my thought um after initially seeing it you know going into this i i didn't know what it was about i knew it was about um a teacher who got stuck taking care of students who were holding over hence the title of the film that's the name of the movie um during christmas break they didn't have the opportunity to go be with their family so they were stuck at this boarding school and he was the teacher responsible for taking care of them and that's all i knew i didn't really know anything else and so i kind of went into this knowing really just that um aside from what patrick has already said you know his his feelings about it and you know working with paul and working with um divine and you know the rest of the cast and crew and whatnot you know it sounded like it was a really uh supportive and positive you know vibe to be around as far as filming goes so that's all i knew and i was blown away by this film it's such a it's such a nice film you know, you watch it and it's so engaging but it's not over the top the story is so relatable it could be you or somebody you know um so much heart so much heart you know and the overall vibe of the 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 film is you really don't know someone until you have the chance to sit down and get to know them and that people are worth getting to know right and that goes both ways in this in this relationship yeah you know this this relationship that forms between angus and paul paul um he had a hell of a time remembering that character yeah you know the relationship that that forms they they both kind of have this preconceived notion towards each other you know oh this is just some rich kid who gets whatever the fuck he wants and can do whatever he wants and i believe in the beginning he knows that there's a little bit more to him the fact that the rest of the class pretty much bombed this test yeah they're they're uh their final exam while he got a b plus he got a b plus and it sounds like 
nobody gets an A in this class, so a B plus is probably the best you're going to get. It might have been a B minus. Either way, like everybody else is getting Ds and Fs. Right. He's and... the only one who's like really excelling. So he sees something in this kid, kind of like, you know, you're, there's something there. You know, there's untapped potential there. And that, you know, um, maybe he needs to see his untapped potential. Um, and, you know, uh, Paul Hunnam is the curmudgeon. He's the teacher that nobody likes. He's the teacher that doesn't let anybody get away with anything. Not he's, even if it's the senator's son. Right. You know, he's the teacher who has, like, probably, it sounds like the only teacher at this school with any type of moral code. You know, he's yeah. not just in it for the money, but in it for the love of teaching. He's literally old school. And wanting to, you know, better children you know better uh make the world a better place you know one generation at a time it's like you want to like he definitely has something against these kids who are rich but also assholes which totally relatable but he also is you know of the opinion that it's good for them to have to work for something and understand that you can't just get everything handed to you. So it's like, oh, I'm just going to show up for this class and I'm not going to put the work in. It's like, all right, well, you're going to fail this class. You're not going to get into Cornell or Brown or Harvard or whatever. you know. And there's a whole scene where the two of them, uh, mostly Angus, gets in into kind of like a uh, an altercation with because this takes place during Vietnam with someone who is missing their arm. And I got a chance to talk with this gentleman uh, before he comes over to, uh, you know, before he went over to film. But he, uh, you know, it, there's a whole conversation outside between Paul and Angus saying, you know, like, how many boys do you know that went to Vietnam? None of the Barton kids, you know, that's the name of the school, Barton Academy. None of the Barton boys go to Vietnam except for except one. for one Curtis Lamb who is uh Divine's character Mary uh it's her son who was a Barton man who went and got killed in Vietnam uh and he was also the only black kid in the movie now they had uh Park and you know but there were really no black kids in the in the in the film and like that was there was a point to that there was a reason to that well, you know you and know, angus and... even says it's like oh yeah you know except curtis lamb and he's and paul goes except curtis lamb like hmm why do you think that is because he he wasn't rich his mother works in the kitchen and she took that job so that he could go to that school for free because she knew her kid had something in him and he should have gone to college. And Paul sees all these kids squandering their opportunities because it's like, I'm rich. I can just get by and do whatever I want. And of course, things have not changed since then. The fact that, you know, we'll talk about Mary's character. Um, the fact that she took this job specifically, specifically to be able to provide for her son and to provide her son an education that he wouldn't get elsewhere, only for 
him to, you know, end up not being able to go off to college, even though he had all of the potential in the world. And maybe he went into the service, you know, hoping that they would pay for his call. I don't know if that was a thing. No, he literally then. said, like, it's like, you know, when Mary is first opening up to Paul, uh, like, he said, I can go to, I can go to college on the GI Bill. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he entered the service because that was the only way he was going to be able to afford, you know, further education because his mother couldn't provide that for him and he didn't have a father. The father's not in the in the picture and you know, his father even, died. Yes. And like his mother was already doing so much for him, sacrificing so much for him that it's almost like he didn't want her to sacrifice anymore. So he went and joined the service and ultimately did not have a chance to go to college. And that right there is just, oh, tells you everything you need to know about her character, really. Yeah. The she... fact that, and, and she's still working at that school. It's her her first Christmas without him there. She's still working at that school. And... You know, uh, still giving her all to these kids who could not care less. Yeah, like even one of the kids, like, like is talking shit about her, and like, it's heavily implied that the kids, you know, if not a racist, really kind of a bigot because you know she's cooking for them, and there's six there's six kids originally that are are holding over. Six, five. There's five kids that are holding over, including Angus. And he, uh, you know, they start a fight. There's a whole thing. But at dinner, you know, Paul's like, Mary, would you like to join us? And the kid, like, looks at him like, oh, my God. Like, how dare you? Like, it's not quite implied, you know, it, it's not explicit whether he's mad because she's black or he's mad because she's the help but it's some combination of the two of those things that really uh offend his sensibilities uh Kuntz who is named in the uh in the trailer you hear him specifically oh don't sell yourself short Mr. Kuntz I, I truly believe you can um this you know, that really sums up who Paul is um, and who these kids are and, like, what this environment is. And Paul has this preconceived notion that all these kids are assholes. And as he spends more and more time with Angus, who is the only one who doesn't get to leave when Jason's father comes at, with his fucking helicopter and takes all the kids off to go skiing because they can't reach Angus's mom and her new husband... Um, yeah, like it's, it's very frustrating, but it's this great interplay between these two characters. We get to see them grow. Mary too, but you know, the story is really Paul and Angus. No, but Mary's story is definitely something that kind of drives the story between the other two characters. And there are... A couple of scenes that I think really kind of um, almost like solidify who these characters are and kind of mark their growth a little bit. Uh, 
one scene being it's a it's a scene that's early on after everybody else takes off to go skiing and Angus is left by himself. It's when he jacks up his arm and Paul has to drive him to the emergency room and the banter between the two of them is so hilarious and you have Paul who is a teacher who almost always knows what to do and he's in this situation where he's completely vulnerable because he's so out of his comfort zone he doesn't know what to do and Angus is sitting there broken yelling at him in the back he's of his car. He's got a dislocated shoulder. You know? You said and- you were going to wash your hands for, of me. That was just metaphorical. Of course it's metaphorical. What, were you going to actually wash your hands? You know, oh, and it's, just, so it's so funny and it's so witty. Um, again, the writing is just chef's kiss. David but... Hemmingson is the writer, and I got to talk with him one day, like that last day, uh, or not the last day, but the, the day the helicopter landed on the, on the field. I was there for that. I have video of that. It was fucking cool. Um, but the whole, uh, the whole point of this is like, this is his, like, he's had this, uh, experience. He wrote it specifically for Paul, who also had that experience. Paul went to boarding school. So, um, it was pretty rad the way, you know, he kind of, you know, explained it because I didn't know who he was. I had no clue. And so I was just chatting because I like to talk to people and on set I like to know like oh you know I was like I was like oh hey you know how you doing you know I'm I'm Patrick you know and you know do you need anything can I get you anything what's your job on set you know and he's like oh I'm David I'm the writer oh that's super awesome like I I didn't know I I hadn't met you yet so that was kind of a cool uh interaction but yeah it's Go ahead. Oh, I was going to finish what I was saying, talking about the three scenes. Very excited. Um, So they get to the doctors and the doctor, you know, puts his shoulder back into place, which, oh, oh, that has happened to me before. And uh, no thanks. Um, But afterwards, when the nurse comes out and they're talking about the matter of insurance and paperwork and whatnot, and, you know, uh, Angus lies and tells this story and whatnot and it's partially uh it's honestly to save both of their asses uh because angus does not want his family to find out because he'll end up going to military school his shenanigans and obviously you know paul would be in deep shit too so uh the way that they kind of play off of each other in that scene where they it's almost like they at that moment they really need each other and they lie and you know angus tells a story about how you know that's his dad and like his mom never lets him see his dad anymore and like if if she found out like basically he would never pretending see him. that he was his that yeah, paul was yeah, his dad yeah you know comes up to this fakakta story um you know so so that scene you kind of see them start to break down a little bit and really form this kind of bond um another scene that i absolutely love is when they go to boston and they're at the skating rink and they which run is into, actually worcester and they run into paul's former colleagues um and paul is kind of making up the story he's like oh i teach abroad you know um doing this you know not coming clean to the fact that he's still at barton he's teaching at barton he never left um and angus comes over and 
really just kind of helps amp up his story a little bit more. Like, oh, I'm his nephew Leonard and, you know, Uncle Paul is visiting and, you know, he's also writing a book. Uh, you know, really helping to talk him up and whatnot and kind of feeding into this lie that he's telling because he can see that Paul feels ashamed for some reason, you know, about where he's still at in his life and compared to, you know, his peers, so to speak. Yeah, kind of like the kid who after high school never went anywhere and just stayed in that same small town because like Paul went to Barton. And then he went to college at Harvard, and then he went back to Barton to teach again, you know, because no one else would hire him because of this incident that he had with this guy that he met at the skating rink, which, fun story about that night. So it was the last night of shooting for the week. We shot Tuesday through Saturday instead of Monday through Friday, but it was the last night of shooting for the week, and every, well, they call it $5 Friday when you shoot Monday through Friday, but um, everybody who wants to, and I did every week, uh, you buy raffle tickets, and then whoever wins at the end of the night, you know, they pull your they pull your name out, and you win whatever's in the bucket. Um, I won once. I won like six hundred bucks. It was amazing. Um, I gave a hundred bucks to the kid who brought all the tickets around, but um, on this particular night. They pull the name out, and it's Alexander Payne. And I'm like, rigged! And he looks right at me, and he goes, I'm donating it all to the office PAs. And I said, you know what, Alexander? That's a class act. That's a nice move. I like that. And he's like, thank you. It was just it's just kind of funny. Because it was several hundred dollars in that bucket. So the the third scene that really stood out to me as far as the relationship of these characters go is the scene where they're at the Christmas party and Angus goes to get Paul saying we, there's a there's an issue in the kitchen and up until this point Mary has been really I'm going to say strong when it came to talking about her son and his passing and 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 everything um at this party she had a little too much to drink and with the, 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 i honestly think it was just the ambiance of the place you know yeah she had had you know a cocktail a, a whiskey too many um but i think it was the fact that it was christmas and it was her processing the fact that it was her first Christmas without him and the fact that he's really gone, he's not coming back, you know, just that mixture of emotions, you know, it, it's such a, 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 an interesting and beautiful display of, of, of the grief process in that moment. And Angus goes to get Paul and she's in the kitchen and she's just distraught. You know, she had and kept drunk. It, well, I was to say, yeah, she, she drowned she herself in booze. Had one cocktail too many, but you know what she says in that scene. You know the fact that the alcohol completely just shut down the facade that she's been putting up. You know, made her completely vulnerable. Um, it's just such a beautiful scene, and to see those other two characters really show up for her and take care of her and listen to her that's the big thing they listened to her yeah yeah and that's 
like they just wanted to help her like there's they know that there's nothing that they can say to make her feel better but like they just gotta you know to be able to take care of somebody outside of yourself you know for both i mean for for paul this is a co-worker you know somebody who he does have kind of a relationship with a friendship with um, because they, they know each other. But for Angus, this is just the lunch lady. Right. You know? So the fact that not only Paul, but Angus was able to show up for her too. And, and, and to be there and to offer, you know, an ear to listen, a shoulder to cry on. Um, you know, you, you, you see a lot of character growth within that. And one of the things I love about this film too is I love films that just kind of give you just a tidbit of a story you know we really don't know these characters before this happened and we can kind of speculate what's going to happen to these characters after these events happen but we only see these characters for a span of what two weeks three weeks it's it's a uh it's i think it's close to Close to a couple of weeks, yeah, because it's like, you know, they go through, like, the days. So we only know these characters for just a slice of time, you know, in comparison of these characters' entire lives. You know, and this film has a way of, like I said, giving you this exposition. You learn what you need to learn when you need to learn it. You know, you don't learn things that you don't need to know. And, you know, I'm sure there are other things there, you know, but they manage to make these characters fully realized characters and they go on this journey. All of these characters have a character evolution. You know, Paul um, ultimately leaving the school. Yep. This, this safe place, this bubble for him, you know, onto new things, potentially better things. You can't even dream you know, a complete dream, can you? You know, um, Angus has a future that does not involve military school. Thanks to Paul. Thanks to Paul. And, you know, thanks to Angus, like, Paul has a, a different view of the world. You know, maybe I shouldn't write everybody off. Maybe I should give people a chance. Maybe not everybody is terrible. And Mary, we see her embrace her family again. We see her kind of come back to life a little bit, where she's just been kind of, you know, stagnant. Well, originally, he, the... she wasn't, she wasn't going to go home because she, she said it felt like she would be abandoning Curtis. But because uh, her sister in Roxbury invited her to uh, to come over for Christmas, her sister who was pregnant, and so she ended up deciding to go, and she brought all of Curtis's baby clothes, and they said, you know, if the baby is a boy, they will na give him the middle name of Curtis, which is very nice. Um, but it's because. You know, he's like, if I can do anything to help you out this Christmas, make things nicer for you, better for you. And Angus is like, well, I want to go to Boston. I want to go to Boston. And, and like, you find out why 
he wants to go to Boston. Um, I don't want to ruin everything because I, I know it's it's still fairly new, and I know there are people who are still working through uh, watching these movies. It's only been out for a few months. But the stuff that happens... Um, it's very hard with the end of this movie. It's kind of like jazz. It's what's not said that is that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might not make sense if you haven't seen the film, but once you have, and you see this final scene, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And it was, I think it was perfect, like the way it ended. Um, this is definitely going to be a, a Christmas tradition of ours. You know, we watch Scrooge, we watch Elf, we watch White Christmas. Like, that's what we watch every year. Uh, I think this is going to add to it. Like, we we don't do a lot of, like, themed mo- You know, obviously we watch Trick or Treat every year on Halloween. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have trading places on Thanksgiving. We don't... You know, we've sort of picked up some of these... Christmas movies as we've gone along because we don't really celebrate holidays that much but I think this is uh, this is one that is going to make its way into our regular rotation um, because it means so much to me and I'm really hoping I get to work with Paul Giamatti again because I really want to tell him uh, how I felt and how it what he did, even though it was a tiny gesture, how much it meant to uh, my entire family. So, Ashes, what else would you like to say about uh, these characters and, and this film? It's a, it's a really interesting journey that you go on with these characters. Again, you know, like I said, sometimes you can see bits of yourself in these characters or somebody that you know in these characters they're so relatable and you know nothing really extravagant happens nothing completely earth-shaking happens you know just uh, events of a life you know that just make for a really good story like i said it's it's the it's the subtlety of everything it's the these these little nuances that you know make the story so believable and one of the things that i love too is um i was watching i love watching the round tables that like the hollywood reporter and um uh, some of the other they do use these actors roundtables and I watched a, a couple with Paul Giamatti uh, speaking with his peers just about this process and how you know this uh, character was written with him in mind which he was like oh great thanks you know a character that has a lazy eye and smells smells you know, like fish <laughs> and um, is rather unlikable thank you for writing that with me in mind Um but he said that he was inspired by, so both of his parents were teachers. His father was a, a professor and his mother was an English teacher. So he was inspired by his parents and 
his parents' peers, his parents' coworkers and whatnot, all of these teachers. Um, you know, obviously he himself had teachers growing up and I'm sure, you know, he remind his character probably reminds you of a teacher that you had. You know, she he definitely reminds me of this one teacher I had. Um Oh, I forget. It may have actually been my senior year of high school. My English teacher, Miss LaJoy. Um, she wasn't well liked. She was a very by the book kind of teacher. Um, she didn't let anybody get away with shit. Uh, I remember senior skip day. I actually, a handful of us like actually went to school on senior skip day. Um, I was a, I was a goody goody uh, when it came to academics and whatnot, because I really wanted to go to college and I really wanted to do something with my life because my main goal was to get out of the small town that my parents had decided we were going to settle down in after my dad retired from the air force. I did not like that small town coming, you know, from, traveling you know to different parts of the world and and whatnot living in all of these different places settling down in this small town you know redneck massachusetts it just it just was not my was just not my cup of tea so um my main goal was freedom and i figured that academics was the way to go so i i behaved and i did everything that i was supposed to when it came to school and whatnot uh but yeah, so I remember senior skip day. Um, I was the only one in the classroom. And she was like, oh, well, I just so happened to schedule a really big like pop quiz this day. And seeing as you're the only one here, you're going to get an A and everyone else is going to fail. And uh, I ended up having, you know, just just talking with her because she's like, well, I'm not going to teach if you're the only one here. And I was like, well, you should teach. And then actually do a quiz and then I will pass and nobody else will but um, I had the opportunity to just kind of chat with her and learned a lot about her you know her her life you know she was married she had kids um, she was a grandmother you know all of this other stuff that nobody else knew of her because she was just this angry teacher you know uh, so yeah, so it was nice to have the opportunity to kind of get to know her on that level. And we chatted about, you know, everything, life and stuff. And, you know, in the, 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 the 50 odd minutes that class went on. Um, but it was nice. It was really nice to have that opportunity. And, you know, at that point, like she became one of my favorite teachers. I'd actually liked her up to that point because I, I thought her teaching style, I, I just appreciated her. Uh, she was very upfront and forward with everything, no tricks, and I kind of liked that. Um, but yeah, so I, I think we all have somebody, you know, whether it be a, 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 a teacher or I don't know, an uncle or, or something, you know, we can, we can find some neighbor. sort of you know relation to these characters you know they're not unknown you know we know somebody like them and i think the approachability of these characters is what makes them so likable too you know even paul there's something so likable about him and i do appreciate the fact that you get these little tidbits throughout the film where the more Paul learns about Angus, the more that he realizes that they're really just cut from the same cloth. 
you know, they're both taking the same antidepressants. Yes. Yeah. You know, they both have similar worldviews when it comes to certain things. Um, you know, and I also love the fact that uh, I, I love the relationship, the, you know, younger person, older person, friendship relationship that happens. I love stories like that, the, the, the mentorship type of relationship. You know, I feel like mentors are so important and we don't have enough of them. You know, not a, not a sibling, not a parent, you know, or an aunt or no one related to you, but like this, this, this mentor like person who kind of takes you under their wing and, you know, just helps you through life, you know, helps you for, regardless of, of the, the, the period of time they are in your life. I was going to say, even if it's just a single piece just, of just advice. You, yeah, or... yeah, you know, helps you be a better person. You know, somebody who just kind of sticks with you. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what's so beautiful about this story is clearly Paul, for those two weeks, you know, is kind of like this mentor to Angus and the sacrifice that Paul made at the end and the reason why he left Barton, you know, and the reason why Angus is allowed to stay at the school. You know, I feel like Angus is going to remember Paul and talk about Paul for the rest of Angus's life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and vice versa. I think Paul will speak of, of Angus, you know, go on to tell stories of this kid that held over. Yeah, and it's uh, it's definitely something that he can use for his uh, monograph. So um, I think with that being said, this is a good time to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll wrap things up and we will uh, Drop give you battle. Yep, and give you a preview of what's coming up next week. So we'll be right back. Hello, JR. This is Paul Giamatti. I understand you enjoy billions. Thanks a lot. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get my AG job back. Anyway, I hope that you do well in uh, your treatment that's coming up. I'm sure you will. And uh, I've enjoyed working with your son a lot. So all my best wishes to you and good health. And we are back as promised. That was the uh, audio from the, the uh, recording that Paul made for my dad uh, on the last day of filming The Holdovers. So you can understand a little bit more of how much this movie means to me. Um, we hope you learned a lot about this uh, about this film, about the characters, about the people behind the characters. Um, if you haven't seen it, I hope you uh, check it out. I purchased the uh, Blu-ray uh, because, of course, I would. Why wouldn't I own this movie? <laughs> but um, we hope you enjoy it. And so we've got some good stuff coming up. But first, we have a new battle for you and ashes what do we do when we have a new battle we have to play the battle theme Ashes, what do we have for a battle this week? So today we are throwing down Paul Giamatti, Battle of the Giamatti Characters. Which character played by Paul Giamatti has what it takes to best his opponents in a thespian throwdown? And for those who don't know, a, uh, a thespian is a theater lesbian. According to Hoso. 
<laughs> Aka, which character is Paul Giamatti's piece de resistance? You can choose from Paul Hunnam from The Holdovers, Miles from Sideways, Chuck Rhodes from Billions, or Cleveland Heap from The Lady in the Water. That's a... Uh, a uh... M. Night Shyamalan movie with Bryce Dallas Howard, and he is absolutely... Is she the lady in the water? She is, and the water, it's a pool. So, it's it's a weird... It's a weird... This is like post The Village, but like pre-Knock at the Cabin. Like, this was in his... Kind of like downturn air, like after signs, like when he put out a few that weren't quite up to the same level as like Unbreakable or, you know, Sixth Sense or, you know, like I said, signs. Um, but he was absolutely the best part of this. I do remember that, um, God damn, I can't remember his name. Uh, Freddie Rodriguez is in it and he plays a guy who only works out half his body so he's got like this huge bulging arm and like huge bulging leg and then like normal arm and leg it's really weird there's a lot of weird weird characters in this but you know when you see it you'll understand but Paul is definitely the one reason that I watched this movie um, so next week we have uh, an interview with uh, Christopher Dukes, who is uh, one of the lead actors in the uh, Amazon streaming series. It's a five-part anthology series called Very Frightening Tales. I almost said trails. Very Frightening Tales, which will be, uh, which is on Amazon, and you can check it out. It's five episodes. It's got Eric Roberts and Joe Estevez, Sally Struthers. Uh, there's a lot of really good... Uh, good people in it as well as if you remember our episode from a couple of years ago where we discussed the movie derailed it's the same uh director dale fabregar so hopefully we'll get a chance to talk with him as well you realize you just said that the amazon series is streaming on amazon yes well yeah i'm making sure because sometimes there's an apple series that's streaming on amazon or a netflix series that you know a lot of these things get taken down and moved somewhere else. It's an Amazon streaming. This is, it's late and we're tired and I have a lot of editing to do over the next few days as well as planning uh, my own short which is filming the day before the dead of winter. So Whose fault is that? Everybody but me. I didn't schedule any of these things. These were all things that were scheduled by other people. So I'm just going along with it. I'm sleepy. At least I know that Chuck E. Cheese's middle name is not Xavier. Okay? We were talking about Chuck E. Cheese the other day. As a side note here, we're talking about... It was Jesus Christ. I didn't remember what day it was. And she's like, you know... Chuck E. Cheese's middle name is Xavier. Well, it's like, no, no, no. I have to. So there you is said, yeah, some you construction going on near our apartment place. And we were just talking about like what could potentially be going there. Odds are it's probably more apartments, but we were just kind of, you know, maybe it's an Applebee's. I don't know. Maybe it's a. And Patrick's like, maybe it's a Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, yep, Charles Xavier Cheese, because apparently the E in Chuck E. Cheese stands for Xavier. Yeah, yeah. 
And which, apparently I said it with such conviction. She was so confident. Charles Xavier Chase. Charles Xavier. And I'm like, uh, Xavier just to, doesn't just, start just, with just an to kind E. Of clue you in on the uh, the mental state that's been going yeah, on around that's where we're at days. but somehow we managed to cobble together an entire short film with a coherent narrative which is wild to me uh yeah so charles xavier cheese <laughs> yeah that's going to be the theme song instead of like the chuck e cheese theme song they're going to play the x-men theme yeah in case you didn't notice that was the x-men theme that's oh good all right, so we have our, our interview next week with Christopher. Uh, the following week, we're going to be talking about Barbie. And I think probably the following week after that, uh, we're going to be focusing on the dead of winter. I think. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk about dead of winter. Mm. We, uh, we're going to be talking to a lot of different filmmakers uh, and producers and directors and actors, which all fall under the purview of filmmaker, I guess. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be able to give you some updates on that. Maybe get some interviews with some people. Uh, I mean, we won't be recording anything like other people will. They can give it to us and we can kind of cobble it together. But, uh, I think that's it. You got anything else you want to talk about? No, no, we're good. My voice is going. Yeah, your voice is going. And we drank tea before this episode, but I think with that being said, we we will will see you next Thursday. Thursday.